The Spin-Off Podcast Network. Ready to rediscover the joys of cycling? With over 300 kilometres of cycle paths across Tamaki Makoto, jumping on your bike and going for a ride is such a fun way to discover the city from a different perspective. Cycling is getting more and more popular across Auckland, so now's a great time to join the hype and give cycling a go. Head to at.govt forward slash cycling to find your nearest cycleway today. Raising capital or taking your business to the world? Investment Fix has everything you need to make it happen. This season, we're exploring the US market, the opportunities it offers, what it takes to grow a business there, and the best way to approach investors. The Investment Fix podcast. Tune in today. Kia ora and welcome to edition number two of Gone by Lunchtime. This is our difficult second album. I'm Toby Manhire and joining me again in the spin-off Space Age Britomart studio to talk politics of the dream team of Annabelle Lee, producer of the new TV3 Māori current affairs programme The Hui, which begins when, Annabelle? April 10th. April the 10th, TV3. And joining us too is Ben Thomas of the mysterious political PR firm Exceltium. Mysteri- is it mysterious, Ben, more in a kind of House of Cards series one or series two way? More, more, more like a Veep outtakes reel. Veep out. Yeah. Don't get me started on that. Didn't we once come to blows when I made a suggestion that you might be a bit like Jonah off Veep? Com- completely outrageous. Okay. Um, I, I spent my entire time in Wellington as Mike. Mike, 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 Mike. He's the one with the ginger beard. The the, the one who was the one who was always like. Caught, caught out trying to find finger food at political colleagues <laughs> when things turn to custard. Uh, we've got lots to get through today. We're going to cover a bit of gangs, a bit of pharmac, a bit of flag, and a bit of Auckland madness. But first of all, Annabelle, you've just returned from the tangi for the great New Zealand activist and writer Ranginui Walker, who died this week at the age of 83. How was it? Um, it was good. He'd probably describe himself as, a, as an academic more than a more than an, an activist, activist. Mm. Um, although of course he he was. It was a it's a beautiful tangi. It's up at Orake Marae. He's from Opotiki, but being the modern Maori man that he is, has chosen to um, have his tangi in Auckland. So as people have come up and joined, huge crowds up there so far. I saw the first opie that went on this morning was like being you'd have loved it. There was Hone Harawira, Winston Peters, Shane Jones every Māori and their dog and their political agenda sitting on their shoulder um, and the ope that I went on with this afternoon included the Māori king so some incredible oratory some incredible mihi to him he was a magnificent man and his death reminds me a lot of um, the death of Michael King in 2004 mm. such an unfortunate time for him to have died he died two days after Māori television launched and just before um, the foreshore and seabed stuff really blew up and to have had Michael King's voice during that time I think would have really gone a long way to soothing relationships between Māori and Pākehā at that time and that's something that Ranginui's done so to lose him now um, is, a, is a big loss not just for Māori but for all of Aotearoa. Yeah, I remember as a teenager reading um, Kafafai Tonu Mato with Struggle Without End and just mm. having, having finding that a really eye-opening sort of experience as a read. It was an incredible kind of crystallisation of, I suppose, Māori experience in the interface with Pākehā. That's right, and um, very simply written too. Like, he wasn't um, yes. he wasn't a, a flashy writer. He, he, 
you know, it very much was a f- reflection of him, very pr- pragmatic, very clear thinking, um, but nonetheless compelling. And, um, you know, a, a great book that all New Zealanders should read. I think if everyone read that book, we'd all be better treaty partners to one another. Thanks, Annabelle. Let's um, raise through a few of the political stories of the week. Uh, Judith Collins is never far from the headlines, and she popped up this week with some announcements on gangs, Ben, including a report finding that, quote, violence within gang families will cost New Zealand's welfare system $714 million over their lifetimes. And there was a launch of a new gang intelligence centre, and Judith Collins spoke about gangs selling methamphetamine to middle-class children, God forbid. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I think the idea about sort of gangs in leafy suburbs uh, dealing the P-trade in uh, decile 10 schools is maybe a bit of a red herring here. Um, the real focus on this is actually the... It seems to be the, the damage that gangs inflict on their families and on related people, especially in terms of the impact of domestic violence, um, in terms of the impact, uh, in terms, you know, low, lowered expectations, intergenerational welfare dependency, those kinds of things. Um, just, just having a read through the material that's been released, um, it strikes me as a kind of thematically similar to a few other initiatives that this government's taken. Um, actually, I, I, I immediately thought uh, almost sort of Fanoora for gangs, um, in the sense that it's about collecting more intelligence, you know, on particular families, not sort of trying to do broad brush policy prescriptions and hope that you kind of drift net up the, the the problems that you're trying to trying to solve, but actually realizing that there is the the information out there to actually identify the families that are sort of you know riven with domestic violence with crime issues um, and addressing those in a really kind of hands-on way just as Fanawara does um, you know by getting into the communities talking to service providers um, and and identifying the people that you are most at risk I, I, I could be wrong but I imagine Judith Collins would be horrified at the idea of Fanawara for gangs being the headline isn't it about having a isn't this out of the seemed to me to be out of the populist politics handbook you know it's a bit you know they crack down on gangs as the headline they want rather than helping out gangs no well they're, they're helping out I, I think the idea is that they're helping out what they see as the the, the main victims of gang uh, gangs which is actually the people closest to gang the families members. of gangs yeah, yeah and yeah. and also people who are brought into gangs and brought into a life of crime a life of recidivism um, and addressing those problems at the root which actually does come back down to you know Bill English's investment model you know spending money you know at the, at the beginning stage of the lifetime of what they might call a social problem or a social expense which has actually ruined human lives. What do you, what do you reckon, Annabelle? Do you feel kind of optimistic about an uh, initiative like this or sceptical? Well, I think, you know, anything that deals with um, family violence is a good thing. It's certainly something that's wanted by Te Ao Māori. In 2014, when... Um, when um, Māori Television did a poll of all of the Māori electorates that the most important issue mm. um, as voted in every Māori electorate, electorate or as identified in every Māori electorate was family violence. Mm. I'm not sure that this is what's going to be the thing that, that addresses it. I just 
wonder why it is that there's a specific focus on gangs and family violence rather than just family violence in general. And I wonder too, is this being driven by police or is this coming from grassroots social services that actually work with these whānau and understand um, what the issues are or is this something that's coming from above because if it is then I don't think it's going to have much traction but the other thing is it's sort of curious the relationship that New Zealanders have with with gangs like as you say you know when it's posed as um, rich white kids getting sold pee everyone's horrified but when uh, Millie Holmes's boyfriend is murdered suddenly the New Zealand media are just fawning all over the headhunters and it's just non-stop there, there um, is an unfortunate and... romanticism, I think, around gangs. And a lot of you know the academic literature, I think, doesn't really help with this. We hear a lot about how um, gangs are a substitute for family, they're a substitute for uh, social institutions that might have broken down in some communities. But that really does skirt around the idea that they are nonetheless organisations set up you know, for committing crimes. Um, you know, you could, you could you could say that a cult is a family substitute. You could say that a terrorist organisation serves as a family substitute. Um, and I find that rhetoric a little unconvincing. Of course, there are there are um, some gang representatives who make the case that it, that that criminality is not synonymous with gang culture, and that there are there are differences to be drawn there. Um, let's let's move on to Farmac. We've had that debate rear its head again this week with a petition arriving at Parliament with eleven thousand signatures on it, calling for the drug Keytruda. Keytruda, which sounds to me like a conspiracy theory of some sort, but is in fact a melanoma drug um, that is not funded currently on Pharmac um, and that a number of people uh, really quite passionately and sometimes quite heartrendingly are calling for. Ben, you're quite hot on this subject. It's a tricky one because one doesn't want to be one doesn't want to be cold about these people who have very real experiences and um, and yet the Pharmac model is such that it should somehow, I guess, be kind of impervious to that, that the, emotional the, wave. The, the, the Pharmac model is world-leading. Um, so what it does is Pharmac is the, the monopsony, the, the single purchaser of pharmaceuticals in New Zealand for that, the, the, the public health system. Um, so it can use that position to drive down the price of drugs, um, to negotiate better options, um, at, you know, and get the most out of what is a limited... Um, health budget um, and and budget for pharmaceuticals. And now it's important to note that the limited funding is a feature, not a bug. Um, Pharmac is always going to have limited funding because the demands on the public health system are limitless. Um, If you didn't have a limited funding model, you wouldn't actually have uh, Pharmac. You'd have a kind of mythical horn of plenty, just kind of spewing drugs onto the street for free. And and, and what that means is that there are, you know, there are significant clinical choices that have to be made, um, balancing efficacy, um, the, out, the health outcomes versus the cost. And Keytruda uh, failed on fa- failed on those measures. Um, it it that, couldn't that, be funded. That said, and, it is available in other countries, and mm. uh, there's no appeals process for Pharmac. You know, I mean, it, w- w- one of the most interesting things about this, um, which I find most politically abhorrent, is the just gross hypocrisy that the Labour Party has shown on this. The Labour Party campaigned against the Trans-Pacific Partnership on the basis that it would undermine the Pharmac model. Now, actually, Tim Grosser stood up to our major trading partners, got a specific carve-out for Pharmac, um, 
and, and, and the Labour Party seems to have forgotten its fierce advocacy on that case and now actually is going to the wall to undermine the Farmac model itself um, by, advocate, by by special pleading for Keytruda um, based on what has been you know, a good public relations campaign by the pharmaceutical company which flew two of the, um, the patients down to Wellington to present the petition. Um, and it, but, but, you know, the, the hypocrisy is just enormous. Well, it, one, one interesting thing is that under the Trans-Pacific Partnership there actually will be an appeals process um, which will provide even more transparency for, um, for, for Pharmax funding. The difference is that the appeals process will again be co- uh, conducted by clinical experts and it won't be conducted by John Campbell on Radio New Zealand and it won't be conducted by Annette King in Parliament. Annabelle, what do you think? I mean, on, on, on one level, without that appeals process as it stands, democracy is such that it is every person's right to appeal to the ultimate power brokers, the the sovereigns, which are which are MPs. Why shouldn't they? What's wrong with that? Do you think politicians should stay out of it, or have they got a role? I heard someone say something interesting to me today, and that was, given that we know that the flag referendum is going to fail, and that we're going to end up with the same flag, why not stop now, throw it out, and use whatever money is left over to buy the melanoma? But, yeah. but, and, and, and the objection to that is that Keytruda is almost certainly not the first cab off the rank if Farmac gets more funding. So what we're seeing with these high-profile PR campaigns and political campaigns by Labour is a situation that's basically the same as the beach down in Abel Tasman, where we're looking to crowdsource expert judgments, um, and we you know, we're, we're going, you know, because the thing is that we never hear from the competing claims on that money, you know, people who could be saved by some heart medication, um, the public health experts who would prefer that that money was spent on a supply of extremely large hats and sunscreen to combat melanoma, which may actually be a better use of public funds. In terms of the political element, I mean, they kind of can't help it, can they? I mean, and the arguments are made that it's not about a drink particularly, it's about the size of a budget and it's about processes, but national too. With, with the same in opposition, specifically around was it Herceptin? Her, Herceptin, And yeah. Jonathan Coleman, the now health minister, I think this week, quietly acknowledged that in opposition they had behaved badly by making a, a, a political issue out of it. Yeah, that's right. And um, I think as the Dim Post blog pointed out, you know, this is this is the problem when you start messing with conventions, is that it does weaken the moral high ground when you're trying to blast the opposition for doing the same thing. But that shouldn't take off. You know, this isn't a he said, she said thing. This is about a model that works versus, um, you know, completely undermining that model. Annabelle, you mentioned the flag, and it's... Um quite right that we should move on to the great political issue of, <laughs> of our important. age. Let's get to the important stuff. <laughs> the, 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 the voting papers as we speak are being distributed by the armies of New Zealand Post. Um, uh, That'll keep them ticking over for another year. And so they'll arrive sometime on alternate days. <laughs> um, um, uh, we are being asked in the, so the second part of the referendum and we're being asked to choose between the existing historical abomination and an alternative abomination, he said, editorialising slightly. <laughs> um, we um, we don't have the A-list vexillologists Dan Carter and Richie McCaw in the studio, <laughs> but we do have Annabelle and Ben. And so I'm curious, you guys, what's your view of the whole business? And do you have a can you can you tell us which way to which box to tick? I don't like either of them, to be honest. The old one or, or the new one. The new one's horrendous. It looks like a 
a logo or a brand or something it's yeah um and to, uh, for me and I, I wrote a column about this for the metro I don't really care too much one way or the other which one our flag is I don't buy into the whole thing of you know our men fought under that flag and whatnot that yeah they fought under that flag so that you know Rangatahi could have the freedom to make their own choices and that's you know and if they choose another flag that's fine my thing is that the flag that I love is the Tinorangatiratanga flag the Maori flag and I'd like to see that flag fly alongside whichever flag you guys pick um, I think that it's a beautiful symbol of nationhood to see the two flying alongside each other. A lot of people say that they don't like the Union Jack on our flag. I actually do because I think it's a reminder that, you know, we were a country that was colonised and the hardship and the mamai that that had for the Indigenous people. I think it's an important reminder of that. Other people hate it, but my thing is, I'm not that fast, but can we perhaps have a conversation about a representing the Māori flag alongside whichever flag the rest of New Zealand wants. Yeah, we've got more than one official language, so you're saying, can we have more than one official flag? Why not? Yeah. Because the interesting thing, I mean, it seemed to me at one point that not having the Tinorangatiratanga flag in the group would made, sort of voided the whole process from the start. But then, talking to some people, which hadn't occurred to me, I can, talking to some Māori people who explained that to use that flag as the national flag would be unacceptable because mm. it would imply uh, an acceptance of sovereignty that didn't exist. I, right. I, I, th I thought that was a real, yeah, I, a number of my sort of hand-wringing liberal friends uh, suggested, you know, why, why don't we have the Tēnāranga Tēratanga flag in the referendum? I was like, you know, it really is a bit of colonial overreach to sort of say, well, we really like the design on your, your, your multi-sovereignty flag. <laughs> Can we have that one? <laughs> Perhaps we could have that too, you know, just... Um, yeah, look, I mean, yeah, according to the polling, you know, the, the terrible old flag will beat the terrible new flag mm. in a cakewalk. Do you like the new flag? W one Do you think it looks good? Be honest. I, I saw both of them uh, flying off the Harbour Bridge and they look, they both looked they both looked either fine or terrible, depending on whether you wanted to look at them as works of art or something fluttering off a bridge. One of, one of the most, um, I thought, uh, boying things that I, I found when this whole debate began was that I didn't really know what our flag looked like, it turned out. Uh, I, was, I was a bit iffy about the colour of the stars. I didn't really know how that Union Jack kind of sorted out with the red lines inside the white lines. Oh, come on. Um, and, and, I, and, I'm, and I'm hoping to achieve a similar level of ignorance about sort of two, <laughs> we, two weeks after the referendum, whichever flag wins. Do, the, the process, though, has been quite astonishing in that... Um, I don't know whether it, how, how, how much of it's been politicised or not, but now you've got people accusing other people of politicising it, which in itself seems to politicise it, and it's become this sort of weird proxy argument for all sorts of other things, and you have these strange bedfellows. I mean, I think you've got Cameron Slater and Bomber Bradbury marching in step <laughs> to retain the old flag. I mean, it's sort of weird, isn't it, it's Annabelle? The way it's... because I remember sort of back in the early 2000s John Campbell was sort of running a campaign yeah. to change the flag and we were into it and we were loving it all of New Zealand were like yes yes let's change the flag we want to change and it was a big discussion point and everybody was sort of wondering when is this going to happen we'll be all for it and then of course when Key rolled it out people sort of saw it for the political distraction that it was and now everyone's like no I like the flag that we've got. So it's quite interesting the way the national mood has changed around it. And I think people see it for what it 
what it is essentially, which is a distraction away from some more pressing issues that people want dealt I, I, with. I think there is an argument that you know you've really got to choose your moment for it. Yes. You know, I, um, I, you know, perhaps you know around 2011 when the Rugby World Cup was here and we had won. I mean, quite aside from the fact that Silver Fern would have you know won with about 90% of the votes. Um, you know, there, there, there was a kind of mood. Um, Controversially enough, I think, you know, either the election of uh, the John Key National Government in 2008 or the election of the Clark Labour Government in 1999, both really seem to kind of suggest a changing of the national mood. Mm. Um, but I, I just don't think we've got that kind of turning point right now that sort of is kind of driving people to any kind of, you know, sense that New Zealand, you know, tomorrow will be any different from New Zealand today. And isn't that partly because the debate has... Uh, avoided explicitly expressly avoided discussing any constitutional stuff you know it's been write down what new zealand stands for on a piece of a4 and take a photo of yourself whatever (laughs) um and 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 it seemed and it's i've been trying to work out why it's become there's been quite a kind of unpleasantness that's been involved in lots of the argument and um i sort of wonder whether that's in part because because none of the actual fundamental stuff it's a bit like a a big family argument where no one is really discussing the essential structures that mean that the family is dysfunctional you know (laughs) it's like it's sort of just got a bit like i mean i've sort of after after an unpleasant experience with a red peak thing that was a fun experience (laughs) as a red peak advocate i've sort of just generally found that people have do people have to be so vile have people been vile or am i being a sensitive flower it, it, the the thing is, it really you know the the smaller the stakes, the more invested people get, you know, right. and and you know there's sort of organisational theory about this, you know, nobody really understands a one billion dollar funding decision, but everyone understands spending you know a hundred dollars or a hundred and twenty dollars on a new coffee machine, and 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 once you get down to sort of like looking at sort of three to four colours on a rectangle, the, you know that that's when humanity shows its true spirit, like. Um, I, I mean, the, the, just the arguments have been so ridiculously trivial, you know, the, the, this kind of idea that um, I, I think there is an unfortunate strain of elitism in a lot of it. Um, I, th- I think that people with bachelors of arts and people who work in advertising agencies really get on board with the idea that um, the silver fern, probably the most recognisable symbol of New Zealand that still survives outside our, our current flag, um, is just some kind of logo or, or, or beach towel, uh, whereas a red triangle somehow encapsulates the spirit of 21st oh, beautiful, century New Zealand. <laughs> yeah, if the silver you know, fern, if just the plain silver fern was one of the options, I would vote for I like that. that too. I'd I vote, vote for that for too that in, a, a in a heartbeat. And it's, silver, it's ISIS yeah. that are to blame for that, aren't they? Because the, the the Prime Minister so made it clear that that wasn't going to... No, they, I don't think so. I think it's. I think the Prime Minister pretty much ruled it out when some, as soon as someone raised the possibility that it could be mistaken for an ISIS flag, it was just, nope, we cannot be going <laughs> down that road. such downers. I know, they such, keep ruining everything, don't they? Everything. They're haters. Haters. Uh, haters and wreckers. Um, speaking of haters and wreckers, um, let's talk about Auckland quickly, um, uh, which is sort of an even bigger... Um, Omni shambles than the flag debate, really. We, 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 on, on Wednesday last week, there was that epic meeting, which you can watch an account of on the spin off um, that Hayden Donnell, is it Hayden Donnell or Hayden Donnell? Donnell. Yeah, I like that, Donnell. Yeah. He's done a, quite a good um, video raging, raging at, the, um, at the meeting, which you should see. But in any case, they, 
took submissions and talked for over six hours on this question of uh, the submissions to the independent board uh, that is going to decide on the unitary plan, which is the Auckland plan that decides how the city will cope with a growing population that's growing pretty rapidly, whether it would go up or sideways or how much of each. Um, and it's kind of convoluted, but late in the piece, a subcommittee, having learned that they had massively undercounted the number of uh, people that were going to need to be housed, made some changes in some quote-unquote leafy suburbs, those same places that children are being dealt pee, no doubt. <laughs> um, uh, uh, and they they didn't consult with these with the residents, with the homeowners, and the homeowners got out their pitchforks, quite understandably to some extent, turned up at this meeting and got very angry. Um, and it became a debate, for, they, they said, about process, but kind of underlying that was a debate about whether the the density in the city should be going uh, more up or more sideways or I don't know if that makes sense does that make sense Ben how did you read all of it um well a, a, again you know talking about the um you know I, th I think there's an optimal size for democracy and it's a little larger than local government um you know, you hear these sort of stories about um, bus shelters moving sort of 300 metres up and down a suburban road as each person in turn complains about it being erected outside their house. And and the thing is that the number of votes is so relatively small in local government um, that you actually get ridiculous decisions being made um, by 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 a, a vocal and underrepresentative minority, by which, of course, I mean the baby boom generation. Um you know, I, th I, th I, th I saw a preview of, of Auckland's oncoming housing catastrophe when I was working down in Wellington and there was a proposal to increase the ACC levies on motorcycles and thousands, thousands of weekend warrior sort of dentists, plumbers, you know, late 50s and 60 year olds in their leathers turned up outside parliament to protest and and there was a subsequent back down by the government and and i think that was that was a real example that was the first point at which the baby boomers really drew a line in the sand and made it clear that they weren't going to accept the consequences of any of their behavior or actions throughout their lives wow that's 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 pretty bold but just bringing you back to that council room on wednesday <laughs> um Whatever you think of some of the vociferous response, those people, quite reasonably, said, screw you, we haven't been consulted, you can't just sneak this through, we were not, we're not having it. It's fair enough, isn't it? I, I think the scale of the the scale of the proposed changes was much less than was suggested in the mainstream media. I think um, the the other thing is, you know, as 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 somebody of the sort of centre right persuasion, I do believe in property rights. I I believe that there should probably be as few constraints on how you use your property as possible. And I think particularly where there's a squeeze on housing um, and a, and and a kind of population crunch hitting Auckland. Um, that there's there's less reason than ever to constrain those choices. What do you reckon, Annabelle? There's, there's been this intergenerational warfare meme thrown around that this represents the kind of coming battle in Auckland. 
Where do you where, what do you what do you make of all that? I, I saw Alf Filipina just before actually at Ranginui Walker's um, Tangi and he said the thing that stood out. I haven't actually watched the video, I've heard about it. But he said the way the young people in the room were treated was absolutely appalling and he's never seen anything like it and he thought it was disgusting and he felt ashamed of the way they were treated. They were literally screened down and barked at and belittled and um, yeah, it's great for democracy that you know the baby boomers um, weren't adequately consulted and they got to come in and, and throw their toys and, and the council back down. But how are we supposed to engage young people in democracy, let alone future home ownership, if they're getting berated um, you know, at the council like that? I think it's really unfortunate and should have been handled much better. There was a fascinating statistic I saw recently and I wish I could remember the, the, precisely what it was but basically I think if you're over the age of 65 in Auckland you're almost three times more likely to vote than someone between the ages of, of, of 18 and, and 25 or something. The, the turnout in the super city elections and and in the uh, different cities in Auckland prior to the super city is you know it sits around sort of late 30s mid 40 percent um and 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 there there is there is a democratic gap there. Um, I need to go and vote. I need to get in voting. These 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 young people. I guess they just feel so di- like dislocated from what's going on, and that why would they bother? And then you have these ones that have turned up to this hui to voice their concerns, and you know these are people who obviously are politically engaged and care and want to get involved and they just get treated like so horrendously that you know if you're a, if you're a young person and you happen upon that video on Facebook or YouTube it's hardly going to encourage you to get involved in local body politics let alone get out and vote yeah that's an interesting window into the council I think they're used to not being heavily scrutinized and quite a few people <laughs> who watch that video run in terror looking at some of the um Councillors. Anyway, let's um, move on to the other, even more farcical, potentially, element about Auckland local body politics, which is John Polino, who you may remember from the last election when he uh, stood as the main centre-right candidate against Len Brown. He got a hundred and a little bit thousand votes, Mm. did all right. Um, And then in the days immediately following Len Brown's return to office, suddenly we had this incredible story break about Lynn Brown uh, and his affair with Bevan Chuang, who it turned out had also been doing a little bit of work for the Polino campaign. And Polino got caught up in all of that um, uh, while denying that he was part of the story breaking. Um, And so then he disappeared and suddenly he's back and he's standing again, despite there already being a apparent placeholder for the centre-right Victoria He's been crime. in Connecticut doing business. He's been in Connecticut doing business. And yeah. taking any doing business. <laughs> and, and but he was, he was back this global week. Global enterprise. What I want to know is, when is he setting up his Chinese restaurant with... With, um, with Bevan. With Bevan, because that's what that's the meeting what was about. Was and I'm meeting, like, I want to go to that restaurant. There was a meeting, a meeting in a car park, apparently, yeah. wasn't there? Is it Yamcha? So, I love Yamcha. So, so, so he was asked um, by Todd Nile of Radio New Zealand after his mayoral launch at his uh, restaurant in a, in a garden centre in, in South Auckland. The farmer's he was friend, asked, He was asked why he went 
AWOL immediately after the last election. And that's what he said. I sent out a press release. If, if, if the media is not interested in that press release, I'm sorry. I am not going to enter someone else's dogfight just to please the media. The public knew I had nothing to do with it. You have two people there. You have the mayor and you have his mistress. I'm not part of it. It wasn't me who actually was found with my pants down in Nazi Fatua room. I mainly played that clip because I really like hearing um, John Polino say dogfight. Um, <laughs> with well, the think we need dog. more people saying dogfight in our politics. Um, but what do you reckon, Annabelle? I mean, this campaign now is... It was looking fairly stale. Phil Goff, acceptable candidate to everyone. Then Victoria Crone appeared, the former Zero uh, uh, senior manager. And now we've got John Polino. He does know it's local body government, eh? Does he know what local body government is in New Zealand? It's not like New York City. It's the mayor. Does he know? (laughs) He's going to be the mayor. (laughs) He's going to be the mayor. Dogfight. I'm just shocked that anyone would care about local body politics that that much, that someone would be that desperate to be the mayor of Auckland. How do you see it, Ben? I mean, because the other part of this, of course, is that his his campaign manager is Simon Lusk, who is one of the main... um, Dramatis personae of dirty politics. Cameron Slater is involved, not very much apparently, but he set up an interview with the Sunday Star Times. They've got the old band back together, and, and John Polino doesn't Car- know Car- what's going Car- on. Carrot Graham, um, Carrick Graham oh, is yes, managing. I saw that, yeah. yeah, look, um, and and that attracted a lot of attention. There was um, there was there was a bit of sneering, I think, about uh, Polino's launch. Yes, there was um, some sneering. There was some un, some unflattering coverage. At, at the same time, um, look what have what have Lusk, Graham, and perhaps Slater done? Um, you know, in a, in, especially in the super city, name recognition is probably seventy five to eighty percent of the battle in yeah. local government, and people are certainly talking about Polino now. Whether that will translate into one hundred and ten thousand votes again is sort of remains to be seen. But I, w- I, w- I wouldn't like to I wouldn't like to second guess um, Carrot Graham, who I guess is a competitor in, in the space I work in. Um, you know, a lot of the times, you know, a lot of the time you don't you don't understand the sort of uh, method to the madness um, initially. <laughs> the thing is, they're, they're talking they're, about you, you do later on, or you... <laughs> I, I'm, I'm saying sometimes that happens. They're talking about John Polino losing his shit uh, at his own campaign launch over like. A couple like, dude, calm down. Chill I guess, out. I guess on the it's other hand, the start got, of the he, ca- it hasn't he got, even got his, hard he yet. He got TV coverage, probably much TV coverage than Phil Goff yeah, got for his campaign. Like yeah, look, it was, it was certainly the most high-profile launch, um, you know, of any of the of the major candidates. Mark Thomas's launch, I think, was a bit sort of anonymous. He. Um, uh, Victoria Crone's launch was a bit rushed because, of course, as as the head of a publicly listed company, um, there's all sorts of issues about sort of disclosing to the market essentially as soon as you're kind mm. of thinking I'm about not, running. So I'm not buying the whole all publicity is good publicity line on that. He looks like a dick. <laughs> you are not Rudolph Giuliani. Calm down. It's Auckland City. You're going to be moving bus stops up and down the road by 300 metres. It's not worth getting that worked up about. Look, the, look the, it's, Somebody it's, it's, needs to be taken care of in the Ngati Fatua room, I think. When you say taken care of... <laughs> you know what I mean, Toby. <laughs> I think that's probably the best place to, to, to leave it on that um, highbrow note. Um, this has been uh, Gone by Lunchtime, uh, the spin-off politics podcast. Thank you very much to Ben Thomas and to Annabelle Lee for joining us and to Jose Barbosa, who is our producer. Um, 
And we'll be back again before long, I think, and we'd like to just um, say goodbye by playing John Polino say dogfight several times. Dogfight, 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 dogfight. Kia ora e te iwi, te Aihe Butler here, podcast manager at The Spin-Off. If you enjoy listening to our podcasts, consider supporting our mahi by signing up to become a Spin-Off member at thespinoff.co.nz slash donate. The Spin-Off Podcast Network.